You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. Reach in your worship guides and take out your teaching notes. And then if you would, uh, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Once you're there, like we do every week, just hold your place. We'll come back to that passage in just a few minutes. Uh, We're starting a new series today. And for the next two weeks, we're going to be considering God's call for ordinary people in everyday life. Let me say that again. God's call for ordinary people in everyday life. And specifically during these three weeks, we're going to be focusing on God's call to go. So I want to start us into this three-week journey by asking you a question, uh, which I would like your responses to. So when you give your response, say it out loud so everyone can hear. No mumbling, okay? Um, Here's the question. Why do you go or why do you come to church? Let me hear that from you. Why do you go? Why do you come to church? Fellowship. Worship. Growing spiritually. What else? Filled with the Spirit. Anything else? Fed. Be fed. fed. These are all great answers. And I expected nothing less from this people because I know so well that you want to grow in Jesus. But let me ask this question. Do you think that um, uh, there are some people who make excuses for why they can't or why they don't come to church? Do you think so? Yes, yes, they do. This week, I uh, ran across an article by uh, a man by the name of Tom Rainer. Tom Rainer is kind of a church specialist, a church consultant. And he did a Twitter survey that was directed to uh, pastors and church leaders. And he asked them to submit um, excuses that they've received for people not going to church. And so from that, he wrote an article called 15 Bizarre Reasons Why Real People Don't Go to Church. 15 bizarre reasons. I'm going to read you about 10 of those. You ready? Let me just say, he didn't make these up and I didn't make them up, but they were real excuses that people gave. Number one, we were out of peanut butter. (laughs) What has peanut butter got to do with church attendance? Number two, um, I was too drunk, so I went soul winning with my dog, Rambo. Well, at least we hope Rambo is sober, right? Um, Number three, both of my girlfriends attend church there. Uh, I think he's got a whole other challenge that he should probably be working with. Uh, Here's another one. The worship leader pulls up his pants too often and it's distracting. (laughs) Aaron, be careful. Uh, Gas prices are too high. Uh, This one's very interesting. The pastor is too attractive. When I see him preaching, I have impure thoughts and and I'm distracted. No worries here, right? There's no worries here whatsoever. (laughs) Here's my favorite one. My wife cooked bacon for breakfast and our entire family smells like bacon. (laughs) Um, The pastor stays in the Bible too much. Gosh, can you imagine that? Um, uh, Here's one. We got burned out at church and have been taking a break for the past seven years. Uh, the church, uh, this, uh, I would love to be in the mind of this person who says this. The church is too close to drive and too far to walk. It's almost like a riddle, right? Yeah. And then finally, again, he didn't make these up. I didn't make the, the, the excuse that was given. I always get hemorrhoids on Sunday. Um, so yes, people make excuses. They make bizarre excuses. I want to read you another uh, list. And this is a list of uh, 10 reasons that 
honestly are very likely reasons that people may give for not going to church. Here they are. I don't like having to park so far away. I think the services are too long. I don't like it when everyone walks around greeting one another. I don't like the song choices. I don't like having to go alone. I'm either too cold or too hot. Why can't they get the temperature right? I think the church is full of hypocrites. I don't think the sermons are interesting or challenging. I can predict what will happen next. Nothing ever changes, and I feel that people ignore me. And those are actually really reasons that people give. And, and they're not even bizarre reasons. They're just they're reasons that people have given for why they don't go to church. Uh, people have reasons. People make excuses. Is there any one common theme that you can identify in the last list I read, their list of 10. Yeah, they all began with I. They were I-centered statements. I don't like, I feel, um, I, uh, I don't like the song choice, whatever it might be. And this shouldn't surprise us in any way. And here's why it shouldn't surprise us. We live in a consumer-driven uh, culture, right? We live in a consumer-driven culture. Uh, there is so much about our culture that is driving us deeper and deeper into living with a consumer mentality. We are constantly being groomed to believe that first and foremost, we should seek out those things that make us happy and that we should stay away from those things that don't make us happy. And for Christianity, for the church, that can often cause a really big problem. It, it, it can cause a challenge because far too often the consumer mentality becomes prevalent in the thinking of Christ followers. Um, because of how we're being groomed and, and, and because of our own selfish, eye-centered mentality as Christians, we have to be careful that we don't subscribe to the belief that the, 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 the goal, the primary goal and role is first and foremost for the church to, to make me happy. Happy, happy, happy. Um, how many of you have been to, to Disneyland in California? Raise your hand if you've been to Disneyland in California. Okay, put your hands down. How many have been to Magic Kingdom in, in, down in Florida? You, you know what the motto is, right? It's the happiest place on earth. And they do a really great job of it. I remember uh, when we lived in Southern California, we always had annual passes and the kids were little. And we went on one particular occasion. And I remember uh, walking through the gates, walking under the tunnel, being out on Main Street, and it was like euphoria. It was so happy. Everybody was smiling. It's almost as everybody was just floating around. The, the characters were happy. The music was happy. It was just a happy, happy place. They were succeeding at what they were called to do. Now, here's what I want to say. I want to make sure you understand that I'm not in any way implying that our church experience should be void of enjoyment. In fact, I believe that when we come together, together we are to create uh, an atmosphere of praise and worship and exaltation uh, to and of Jesus in such a way that there's this thing that happens as we have an encounter with God through the Holy Spirit that we recognize uh, in an even greater way who we are in Jesus Christ. And there's this peace and there's this contentment and there's this happiness that becomes resonant in us. But that happiness isn't based on a feeling. 
It's, it's not based on a feeling. Let, let me say this another way. Um, the church doesn't exist to keep the saved happy. The, the church isn't a theme park. Again, I, I, I think the church experience should be very enjoyable. But we don't exist to keep the saved happy. Instead, we're called to live as a missional community. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to live missional? It means that we would adopt a lifestyle, that we live our lives in such a way that the Jesus in us is evident to the people around us and they're attracted, they're drawn to the Jesus in us. And so in other words, uh, we're not consumers of the gospel, but we're missionaries. We're all missionaries of the gospel, living missionally. And that's really what this series is all about. Let me say this again. I want to make sure you understand this is not a series or this is not a message that's been crafted in some way to create a soapbox for me to stand up on and in some passive aggressive way scold you because I think you just want happy, 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 happy. Actually, I know that's not the case. Even when I think about our worship experience this morning, I realize that we are a people who are desiring all that we can find through Jesus Christ. However, we all have to be willing to check ourselves and identify any um, consumerism that might be in us in relation to the church and be willing to exchange that for a true understanding, a deep understanding of what it means to live in a missional lifestyle with a missional mindset. So that's really what this series is about. Um, we, we, the series is about us knowing that our mission isn't just to uh, go to church every week. It, it's not for the whole world to go to church, but instead we understand that the mission that Jesus gave is that the whole world, the whole church is to go to the world. The whole church is to go to the world. I want you to look at that passage that I had you turn to earlier in Matthew 28. Um, I'm going to start in verse 16. It's not going to pop up on the screens until verse 18, but follow along as I read. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So think about it. These were some of Jesus' final words to uh, the 11 disciples. There's only 11 right now. Remember, Judas is he's out of the picture. Uh, so he's speaking to these 11 men. They've gathered around him. And here's what he doesn't say. Men, from this point on, I want you to make sure that everybody knows that they need to be sure to go to church every week. That's your mission. That's not what he said. But instead, he said, from this point on, I want you to go to the world and tell them the story, the gospel. Tell them my story. Tell them that, that, that I've died for them, that I, that I took their place. That, that's, that's, what he, that's what he gave. That's the call. That's the commission to the church. Now, this call, this commission um, can cause some angst. When we recognize, okay, this is a commission Jesus gave not to just 11 disciples, but he gave to us. And so I have this uh, call, this responsibility to go. That can cause some angst. 
And it can be overwhelming because Jesus said in Acts 20 to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. He was talking about to the uttermost parts of the, uh, of the earth. And so it can cause us to feel overwhelmed. It can create some questions in us. And the questions might be, why would Jesus ask me to go? Or why would he call me to go? Because I don't feel like I'm qualified. I don't have what it takes. I don't feel like um, I would be effective in going and telling the world the story. Just, I just don't know if I can do it really well. And if that's your thinking, if that's your mindset, then I want to challenge that thinking this morning. And I want to say, you are qualified. You do have what it takes. You will be effective because it's not dependent on you but it's dependent on the Holy Spirit working in and through you and you taking advantage of everyday situations. Um, you have what it takes. And I can say this because of what we know about these 11 men that he was speaking to. These were 11 ordinary men. They were fishermen. They were tradesmen. There was a tax collector. But they weren't, um, there, there wasn't anything really special about it. It's not like they were highly educated or highly skilled. Uh, they were skilled in what they did, but there wasn't just something that set them apart that Jesus said, I choose these 11 men because they have this something special to go. No, he chose 11 ordinary men. And we see that theme all throughout scripture and even throughout history. For instance, Noah. Noah was just an ordinary man and he built an ark. Or Moses. Moses was an ordinary man. He, he was shy. He didn't like to talk to people. Yet um, he goes face to face with Pharaoh. And he says, let my people go. And this ordinary man led Israel out of the captivity of Egypt. And then there's David. David was just an ordinary shepherd boy. And um, he became a giant killer. He just used slingshots. You know, it was not like he had some special weapon. He just used a slingshot. It's part of his everyday, ordinary life. And he became Israel's greatest king. And then there's this young boy, this ordinary boy that we read about in the Gospels who had just a little bit of food. And he shared it with Jesus. And Jesus multiplies it. And he literally feeds thousands and thousands of people. It's not like this little boy was a five-star Michelin chef. He, he just, this little boy. Ordinary boy who had a, a little bit of food. And then we look in history. And in history, uh, and I talked about this some months ago, uh, a, a young, ordinary girl by the name of Flory Evans sparks a revival in the country of Wales because she simply stands up in a meeting uh, and she says, I love Jesus with all my heart. And from those words, a revival was sparked that literally changed Wales. I mean, the country changed. And then think about this. There's this ordinary young farm boy from Charlotte, North Carolina named Billy Graham. Just an ordinary man, ordinary boy. And God calls him and this ordinary young man begins to preach the gospel and to millions and millions of people. And literally because this ordinary man was willing to go Millions and millions of people have come into relationship with Jesus Christ. These were just ordinary people. That's what they all have in common. They're just ordinary people, just like you and I. 
And God's call to go is to ordinary people in everyday life. Um, I, I don't want to insult you at all. But here's what I want to tell you about all of us in the room. We're all just ordinary we're just ordinary people. There are skills in this room and uh, talents and abilities. But at the end of the day, we're just ordinary people that Jesus has called a commission for us to go. So God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. Um, and actually, our going should really just flow out of the naturalness or the routines of our everyday life. The naturalness, the routines of our everyday life. But sometimes, because we, we, we won't grasp that, we try to make going much more challenging, much more difficult than God ever intended for it to be. We just make it too hard. So I want to address that this morning. And I just want to give you some of the practicalness, some of the, the everydayness, some of the naturalness of what going looks like. Because we don't have to make it harder. We don't have to be overwhelmed with the how, how we go. So here's what I want to tell you. First of all, going is relational. It's relational. We can go and we can live out the love of Jesus because we build new relationships and because we intentionally take time to nurture the relationships that we already have. It, everybody in this room who has relationship with one or more people, raise your hand. So that means you have something occurring in your everyday life where you, you can go. You, you, can, you can nurture that relationship and take them deeper into their life with Jesus Christ or introduce them to Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. In every relationship we have, according to that verse, we're just supposed to love people the same way that we want to be loved. And we are to love people the same way that Jesus has loved us. And we are to extend the same grace and the same mercy and the same love, the same compassion, the same empathy that Jesus has extended to us. And when we do that, without a doubt, if we will love other people this way, they will experience Jesus because they experience the Jesus in us. So it, it, it's relational. Going is relational. Going is visual. Um, going is lived out in us and through our representation of Jesus. We are a visual representation of Jesus. That's, that's scriptural. Um, through our representation of Jesus, other people can see and they can experience Jesus. I want to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. It says this, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the uh, ministry of reconciliation. So that all this that Paul's talking about, in the verses prior to this, he's been talking about the fact that we are new creations in Christ and the old is gone and the new is coming. He's saying all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God 
was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, or we're his representation. We're the visual representation as though God were making his appeal through us. So think about this. Jesus, by way of the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus lives in us. And as Jesus, by way of the Holy Spirit, is working in us, and as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the work that he's doing, here's what's happening. Through that work, there are attitudes and there are mindsets that are being changed. They're being transformed. They're being renewed into the image of Jesus Christ. We're becoming like Christ, who is the image, the exact image of the Father. And as those things are happening inside of us, through this change, they begin to work their way to the outside of us and they're manifest in our behaviors. And so now we're living, the old is gone, the new has come, we're new creations, and we're living as representations of Christ because Christ is in us. And what happens as we live that out, people see. People see that there's something different. And because they see it, they want to know what it is. And so it's as if, though God was making his appeal through us, because that's what he's doing. Because going is visual. Um, going is functional. Um, going becomes a reality as we do good deeds that open people's hearts to Jesus. Let me read to you uh, Matthew five sixteen. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I love this verse because it gives us proper perspective on doing. In other words, we have to understand uh, doing good deeds, that's not about earning our salvation, right? And doing good deeds is not about impressing other people. Uh, doing good deeds is not about being noticed. It's not about the applause of others. Doing good deeds is not because we're trying to get the approval of someone else. Instead, according to this verse, we do good deeds. Good deeds being just everyday acts of love and kindness to the relationships that we have and the relationships that we're building. And we do these good deeds. And as we're doing these good deeds, people see Jesus. Jesus is glorified. And again, they're attracted. They want to know. Jesus is revealed to other people. And then finally, I would say going is attractional. As Jesus transforms us by way of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, uh, our faith grows. Our faith becomes rooted and it becomes grounded. Uh, it's deep within us. And that faith uh, is, is continually being built on a greater understanding of the cornerstone, the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we're realizing who we are in Jesus Christ. And so our faith takes on more than just words or confessions, but there's an authentic faith uh, that works its way out. And it becomes so contagious that again, people are attracted to the Jesus in us. It, it, we see this in the early church in Acts chapter 2. 
verses 46 through 47. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this, this first group of believers, so there's 3,000 of them that, that were added to the church on the day of Pentecost. So there's more than 3,000 now. And they're living life in a, in a missional way. They're, they're, they're in a missional community and uh, they're changing. And, and as they're changing, people are attracted to what they see. And so as a result, people come into relationship with Jesus. They encounter him through these people. And the, 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 the church grows, the kingdom grows, the family of God grows. And it's all expressed as their lives were being changed because of Jesus at work in them. And the, the church grew. Now, uh, we can get hung up on the how, and it can cause us to stumble or to be hesitant. Uh, so, but we've talked about the how. It's just, it's really practical. But we can also get hung up because we don't fully understand. We don't grasp the why. Why we should go. And because we don't understand the why fully, we, we just, we don't do anything. So I want to just spend a few minutes. I want to talk first in a broad perspective. And then as I close, I'll give you just four aspects of why we should go. But let me begin by saying, uh, there's an organization known by the name of Operation World. In Operation World, just bottom line, what they do is they track the statistics of the spread of the gospel around the world. It's also a resource that you can go to and it will uh, give, uh, it provides a rare, uh, a prayer resource of how to pray for people groups that have not been reached for different nations, for different countries. Um, Operation World, as they're tracking the spread of the gospel, they say that uh, there are between 24 and 27 percent of the world's population that has never heard the story of Jesus in a way that they can appreciate so they can respond in a meaningful way. In other words, no one's ever really reached them or told them the gospel in a way that relates to where they're at so that they can make a response. 24 to 27%. Now, it's possible you say, well, actually that's good, right? Because that means about 75% of the world's population has heard the story of Jesus in a way that they can appreciate so they can respond in a meaningful way. And that is, that's good. It means we're making progress. But let me get you to think about it this way. That 24 to 27% equates to approximately 2 billion people have never heard the story of Jesus in a way that they can appreciate so they can make a meaningful response. Two billion people. Let's break that down a little bit more. They also say that uh, in the world, one out of every four individuals have never heard the story of Jesus in a way that they can appreciate so they can have a meaningful response. So now think about this. That, let's bring it home. Let's say in your neighborhood, in the development you live in, wherever you live. If you were to randomly pull out four of your neighbors, it is very likely that one out of those four neighbors have never heard the story of Jesus in a way that they can appreciate so that they can make a meaningful response. I mean, so we live in the Bible Belt. 
Everybody here has heard the story of Jesus. We can't assume that because just our little world, part of the country, on that side of the lake and this side of the lake, it's changing, isn't it? We, don't, we aren't just made up of Bible-born-and-bred-belt people. I mean, it's changing every day. We can't assume that everyone's heard the story. So that could be in your neighborhood. It could be in your workplace. It could be in your school, uh, in your club, wherever you find yourself. One, it's possible that one out of every four individuals that you encounter has never been told the story of Jesus in a way that they can appreciate so that they can have a meaningful response. Now, when we hear this, it should break our hearts, right? And, and, and maybe it does break your heart. I have to confess, I was, I was kind of sobered by this this week. It's like, wow, my, my heart doesn't hurt for the lost in the way that I believe Jesus is calling me to, to hurt for the lost. So it should break our hearts, but it should also move us to action. It, it, it should move us to action. Let me give you, uh, just as I, I begin to close, four more reasons why we should go. First one, uh, we should go because reaching the lost is the heart of Jesus. I mean, that's why it came, right? He came so that we could have eternal life and so that we could have relationship with God and so that we could have forgiveness of our sin. Um, that, that's why he came. On Father's Day, um, in my message, I talked about Zacchaeus. And at the end of the Zacchaeus story, what Jesus says about himself is this. I came to seek and to save the lost. It's what Jesus came to do. So as his representatives, the visual representation, it's what we're called to do. Um, we should go because the mandate wasn't just to the 11 disciples who heard it that day. Right? The mandate is to every Christ follower. So we are to share what we know with those who don't know. We should go because reaching those who are lost is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. Regardless of a person's title, their achievements, their success, their status in life, if they don't know Jesus, they haven't entered into relationship with God through Jesus, then they're separated from God. And, and that should break our hearts. And finally, we should go because our mission to go is the mission that actually adds value and true meaning to our lives. In um, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, as the Apostle Paul writes, he says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul said, one day I'm going to die and I'm going to cross the finish line. And when I cross the finish line, I want to be sure that I have been true to the call that has been placed on my life is to, is to tell the story of Jesus. Now, I don't really, I'm not trying to end this message on a, a, a somber note, but here's something else I got to tell you about all of us. One day we're all going to die, right? We're, we're all going to die. So we're going to, one day we're going to cross the finish line, so to speak. Um, and we've been given a task, a call to go to the world. 
So my question is, when you cross the finish line and you, you arrive in heaven, will there be a group of people there waiting on you to say, thank you, thank you for telling me about Jesus because that's why I'm here, because you took the time to tell the story. I want to end by telling you a story about my best childhood friend. My best childhood friend's name was Scotty. Scotty and I met when we were both about seven years old, and we very quickly became best friends, and we were always together. We were two young explorers with really cool bikes that had stingray handlebars and banana seats. Did anybody else have that bike? I mean, they were cool. And in the summertime, we rode those bikes countless miles over our little town of Gaffney, South Carolina. We rode and we rode and we explored. And the only rule is that we had to be home before the streetlights came on. Anybody else have that rule? Yeah, that's just how it was. You just be home before the streetlights came on. Um, life was pretty challenging for Scotty. Uh, his, his dad was a construction worker, and he was really forced uh, with the economy at that time to um, spend a lot of, take a lot of jobs out of town. He spent a lot of the year working out of town. And uh, Scotty's mom was an alcoholic. And because of that, it wasn't always safe for Scotty to be at home. His grandmother lived nearby, and uh, when it wasn't safe for Scotty to be home, he would find refuge with her. But on occasion, she wasn't there for him. And when it wasn't safe for Scotty to be home, he would come to our house. We lived just down the street. Uh, on one of those occasions, he came and we thought it best that he spend the night because it just wasn't safe at home. And um, on that night, after the lights went out, we were in bed. I felt prompted, probably as about a 10-year-old, to ask Scotty a question. And my question was, Scotty, do you know Jesus? Have you ever asked Jesus to be part of your life, to be your Savior? And he said, no, I haven't. And with that response, it prompted me to ask another question. And I said, would you like to? And he said, yes. So that night, in the darkness and in the stillness of the room, in the best way I could as a 10-year-old, I told him the story of Jesus. And then as we were there, I helped him pray, and he invited Jesus into his life. And that night, his life changed. He became a, a new creation. Even as a 10-year-old, something changed in his life. Scotty and I continued to be friends all the way through high school, but we didn't uh, hang out together as much as we had. Just different life, different schedule, took us in different places. But we remained friends. Shortly after graduation, Scotty was killed in an automobile accident. And I remember when I heard the news, I remember the first thing that happened is flashing back to that night as 10-year-olds and me asking my best friend the most important question that I could ever ask him. Do you know Jesus? Do you know what he's done for you? Would you like to know Jesus? And I'm so thankful that I, as a 10-year-old, obviously prompted by the Holy Spirit, asked that question because then I had an assurance that he had heard the story, he had made the commitment, and I believed that he was in heaven after that accident. And I tell you that story 
because I want to say that you have relationships in your life. You have best friends. There are new relationships that you are going to build. There are relationships that you're nurturing. And it's very likely that some of those people do not know Jesus. And the most important question that you can ever ask as you're building the relationship, as you're getting to know them, is to at some point ask the question, do you know Jesus? Do you know what he's done for you? And then give them a chance to respond. And we're not responsible for the answer. But Jesus has given us a call, a commission to go and tell. Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you for Jesus, your son. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ as Savior. Thank you that we can know him personally and that we can have relationship with you, forgiveness of our sin and eternal life. Our life is completely different because of that. We are new creations. Father God, today uh, we, um, we want to declare that uh, life is not just about being happy Christians, but in, it's about um, being true to the call that you've placed on our lives to be uh, open, willing to share your story with the people we come in contact with. Uh, I pray that you would help us more than ever to live missionally, knowing our mission is to tell the world about you. And I pray that you would give us courage so that we would tell this story to the people that we encounter on a daily basis. Holy Spirit, help us. We ask you to forgive us for the times where we've uh, neglected or failed to do so. And we ask that you give us second chances. Um, so we, we, we thank you. We thank you that we, we just ask that you work this in. And as a people, that if there's any um, consumerism that we're expecting of the church, that we would repent and we would say, um, we're, we're sorry. We're sorry. So I just ask that you work that in us today. May we be willing to ask the most important question that we could ever ask. Do you know Jesus? And it's with that, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, that I do want to ask that question today. Is it possible that one of those one in four are in this room today and you've never entered into a relationship with God through your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never said yes to Jesus and something's stirring in your heart and you want to do that today. You, you, you recognize that you're separated from God. You recognize that Jesus died in your place. You confess that and, and that you have forgiveness of your sin through him and you, you want that. As, as That's what you want your life to be. Is there anybody here and you say, I've never done that before today, I want to. Would you just lift up your hand and let your uh, eyes catch my eye? Is there anyone here at all today? Say, I'm just saying yes to Jesus. Anyone at all? Would y'all stand? Father, thank you for what you're doing in our midst. I pray that we would be a people who would go as we even step out the door today, that we'd be aware of the people around us and we would be willing to ask the important question, do you know Jesus? And speak blessings over us all as we go and we give you ourselves, we surrender ourselves and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. 
For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.